I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. The San Francisco Giants are one of the most storied franchises in professional sports. Moving from the polo grounds to Candlestick Park and having some of the real legends of baseball, whether it be Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Barry Bonds, Juan Marichal, the Giants needed a new home. And under the guidance of our guest, Larry Bear, he combined with Peter McGowan to help move privately funded ballpark into the city and has worked to develop the community around the ballpark. A Berkeley undergrad, Harvard MBA, one of the real bright, innovative people in professional sports, our guest, Larry Bear. Welcome, friends. If you grow up in the Bay Area, being bright, politically savvy, and forward thinking is essential. And our guest today has championed the San Francisco Giants for almost 30 years. Larry Bear has built a brand for the Giants that is unmatched in professional sports. And his background, his story to how he got to where he is today is interesting. And I think you, my audience uh, will find this as a, as a very provocative story of how you began at Berkeley and convinced that owner of the, radio, of the uh, Oakland A's to do a radio. Talk a little bit about how that all occurred. Well, first of all, Jed, thank you. It's, uh, it's very kind of you. Those words are very kind. A lot of really great people at the San Francisco Giants uh, going back to 1993 have, uh, have been part of the, of the picture here. In terms of myself, I would say that my you know, real love for baseball and, and my uh, journey through the, into the baseball industry really started when I was, oh, maybe seven, eight, nine years old when I would board a bus with my father. And we would go out to Candlestick Park and watch Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, uh, Orlando Cepeda, and Juan Marichal play. And I fell in love with baseball. I fell in love with going to games with my father. And um, one of the great uh, things we have with the sport of baseball is, is it's very generational. And um, now it's been wonderful experience raising four children, uh, going to the ballpark with them. So I think that was really you know the, the, the birth of my uh uh, love for and uh, and passion for the sport and the experience of being uh, consuming a game you know with family and then and with community uh, in San Francisco. My initial beginning uh, foray into uh, formally into sports was at the school radio station at University of California, Berkeley, where uh, uh, Charlie Finley had owned the team, did own the team, but was, uh, talking about potentially selling the team and it scared away bidders for the radio rights. So uh, our non-commercial station at the University of California, uh, I, I made a phone call 
and uh, said, uh, we'll broadcast the games. And as you know, uh, Mr. Finley, very much always with an eye toward promotion, thought, wow, that'd be pretty cool having a couple of college kids broadcast games. So uh, we, we, it came to be known the, uh, the smallest rights fee deal in the history of show business. It was a, uh, a one-figure deal. He said, send us a dollar in the mail and you've got it for the first uh, month and a half of games. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. And, th- and then you end up going to Harvard Business School. Uh, you end up coming back, then going back and working uh, for, for the Tishes. So talk a little bit about how those maneuvers occurred in terms of your thinking as you were planning your career. Well, you know, the sports industry is really, I think, a microcosm uh, or really a big part of the overall the media and entertainment landscape. I think we all realize that. We've all known that for a while. So uh, after Harvard Business School, and I worked for the Giants briefly between college and, and, and graduate school. I found that, you know, it would be really valuable to, I I had a passion for impacting people with experiences. And and you can do that through entertainment. You can do that through media. You can do that through sports. And I worked first for Westinghouse Broadcasting and then was hired by Larry Tish, who had just taken over CBS to be a special assistant where we worked through, you know, all parts of the company. And it was a fascinating experience, Um, you know, looking at CBS Entertainment, CBS News, CBS Sports, uh, sales, the O&O division, all the the different pieces that in that works in those days. This is the late 80s. You know, we're really, you know, still in a dominant position. So it was super interesting. Um, And, uh, you know, Larry Tish was a brilliant uh, financial mind. And, um, and understanding how to, how to balance all the pressures and, and keep an eye on the stock price and keep an eye on, on how to, how to uh, you know, move the, the margins at the, at the business was really fascinating. One other thing that happened while I was there, I became close with his brother, uh, Bob Tish. And while I was at CBS working with Larry, Bob Tish and I would have breakfast regularly um, at the Regency Hotel. And Bob said one day, you know, I'm thinking about coming in and, uh, you know, stepping up and buying 50% of the New York Giants. What do you think? And um, I encouraged him to do it. Um, <laughs> others did and some didn't. And uh, it was probably one of the, the very best uh, things that the investments uh, the petitions have made. And certainly, certainly uh, for the psychic income that Bob enjoyed through uh, his years before he passed of being the 50% owner. And now Steve and John and, and, and his children are, are involved, of course, in running it. But uh, the 50% that they own, uh, it was just a wonderful experience for Bob. And it was great seeing him uh, enjoy that, enjoy the community aspects as well as the competitive aspects of owning the New York Giants. 50% of the New York Giants with the Maras, who were obviously you know wonderful partners and remain wonderful partners to this day. Uh, Larry, what's uh, amazing is when you when you come in, you've got a ballpark that's really not a baseball-friendly ballpark, and you discover and figure out with your group that you've got to put in a new ballpark, that you've got to finance it a whole different way than ballparks have been financed, and you've built and maintained this incredible ballpark. Talk about how that journey occurred, because that is incredible. And the way you talked about family and community and what you've done in terms of the giant fans and how they've come accustomed to your your brand of ball and how you, how you treat them, that's uh, well, really special. Well, 
Well, Jen, as you know, what somebody once said to me, it really takes two things to be successful to optimize in sports and professional sports. One is the product and two is the image and the feeling you have about the team, your team. And if you have one without the other on a positive scale, you're, you're going to sub-optimize. If you have neither, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a problem. And if you have both, that's, that's where you want to be. So uh, as much as, at, you know, I grew up going to Candlestick Park and personally, uh, because I was passionate about baseball, I didn't have a problem going to Candlestick Park, but I was in that sort of hardcore fan uh, zone uh, that most people in the world are not in uh-huh. and do not walk down the street, you know, memorizing batting averages and run averages. So, you know, how did we create an experience for people that is um, you know that that cuts across the 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 entire spectrum of uh, fan avidity, if you will, meaning the the casual fan on a date night, the uh, folks that are coming from the office that want to enjoy a collective experience, families can enjoy whether whether you're completely tied to the the game or not. And Candlestick could not provide that because of the the elements out at, and the location, et cetera. So when we came in, you know our group, Peter McGowan and I put together this group uh, after the uh, Giants had lost, the previous ownership had lost four measures to build a new ballpark, uh, four ballot measures to build a new ballpark. So um, we came in a little bit with the odds against us when we were able to acquire the team in 93 and prevent it from moving to Florida because Tampa was about to was about to be relo- relocated to Florida and the MLB owners voted it down, allowing our group to buy the team. And the big thing, the really big thing for us was how do we create a ballpark where we can literally double the the attendance? We on a normalized average, we were about a million five. And can we create a can we build a ballpark privately, not have to have a ballot initiative asking for, for taxpayer dollars? But to do that and break even, we would have had to double the attendance on an annual basis. And to do that, we had to get a much more broader group of fans. Uh, the fans that are going that you know may enjoy great food, a comfortable setting, uh, you know the mascot, a great place for children, a great family entertainment. And so, who are we competing against? We're not really competing against the other team in town, uh, the Oakland A's. We're competing against a, a you know a trip to the to the park on a Sunday afternoon, Golden Gate Park, or the movies, or uh, you know a drive to the wine country, or going out on a boat in the bay. That's what we're competing against. And we and to do that, we have to do it well. So that was really our focus as we were building the ballpark privately and did not have a measure on the ballot uh, asking for public money. You, you do that, though, and you move up in terms of responsibility and eventually become CEO and president of the organization. And during this period of time, I mean, you think about the history, as you mentioned, Willie Mays. You also had a very successful but controversial player in Barry Bonds. Talk a little bit about what the thinking was between signing him and what was that, that was like trying to manage he and his image in the media. Well, it, it, initially when we signed him in 1993, I mean, it seemed like the perfect fit. And it, it was the perfect fit. Um, we had to send a signal and we felt it was very important to send the signal that this group, and it was a consortium of very well-known and respected business people but we had to send a signal that we were also baseball fans and we were there for, we wanted, we wanted to, you know, be caretakers of this franchise in a serious, passionate and caring way. 
And to do that, the first two moves we made, we actually did this before we had a general manager, Peter McGowan and I did this because we had to, the timing was such that we got the franchise and the Al Rosen, the previous general manager had retired, and Roger Craig, the previous field manager retired. So what we did was we did two things initially before we even hired uh, Bob Quinn and Brian Sabian to run the baseball department. We hired Dusty Baker to be the manager and we, and we signed, uh, the, the biggest free agent out there at the time, Barry Bonds. And, you know, Barry was really family in San Francisco. His father was a great giant Bobby Bonds. His godfather, Willie Mays, you know, the greatest of them all. And so bring Barry in at that moment, sent the message. And to have Dusty with a, who is a spectacular communicator, both internally and, and externally into the community, very popular. To have them as the leading, you know, uh, faces of the franchise early on was spectacular. As we went through it, and Barry was setting records and and controversial, um, you know, we we you know, people in San Francisco felt loyalty to Barry Bonds, and um, you know, it was controversial, and there were some di- some difficult times. But uh, we ended up signing him, you know, in four different contracts that extended from 1993 to 2007 and um we stood by barry and uh you know and he meant a lot still does mean a lot to to the people of the of the of the community you know and we've had a lot of popular players throughout uh our tenure here now almost 30 years and uh and you know we have a new generation of players and and barry is comes to the ballpark as part of the franchise we keep everybody engaged willie bays um, is still part of the Giants franchise at age 90. Uh, Orlando Cepeda is as well. We lost Willie McCovey. And we, we, we keep our, our heroes close to us. Uh, Will Clark is still works for the franchise. Dave Dravecki can go on and on. So we're very proud of that lineage and feel it's, imp- it's an important part of, of how, we, how we relate to our customers, our community, and our fans. And, and then, Larry, you were able to string together three world championships in five years. Talk about what that was like. I mean, being able to hold that together and do that. I mean, not many teams in, in baseball are able to do that. And it was the first time the Giants in their long history had done that. Well, when we brought Brian Sabian in with Bob Quinn in 1993, uh, Brian had built you know much of the strength of the Yankees farm system, right? He had signed Derek Jeter and, Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera uh, in his scouting department. So we knew Brian was a very savvy and, and uh, you know evaluator of talent. And putting together a baseball department, you know what you have to do is get get the very best people and 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 go with them. And as we had those successes in 2010 through 14, three World Championships, uh, it was the product of a lot of hard work and a of an ability to do something that's, I think, really hard in sports and really hard in baseball as well. And that is win and develop at the same time. Now, we had some off years, but we never really did a complete teardown, right? So, you know, we go through, we were in the World Series in 2002. We won 100 games in 2003. Then we had some years where we were close, didn't, didn't get to, um, we're not successful in the playoffs or didn't get to the playoffs. But we, but each year, we tried, Brian really tried with his group to win and develop and not, um, you know, just completely fold the tent in a year to do a complete rebuild. Now, there have been many franchises who have done that successfully, and I'm not 
saying that's not a way to do it, or you know, perhaps uh, you know, in some situations, the preferable way to do it. Before he won the championship in 2010, in 20, 2008 and 2009, as Tim Lincecum was coming through the system, as Madison Bumgarner was coming through the system, as Buster Posey was coming through the system, we really tried hard to have competitive teams. So in 2009, I think we won, we just missed the playoffs, we won 86 games and you felt there was a, you know, there was a coming together um, that could, you know, allow us with those young players in the farm system sprinkled with some veterans to remain competitive during the season that 2010 you know, could really be an important, um, you know, could be a kind of a, a turning point. 2009 was really a turning point that 2010 we were able to reap the rewards and, and keep it going. Uh, even though in the odd years, we did make the playoffs. We had competitive teams. We didn't make the playoffs in 11 and 13. You know, 10, 12, and 14, we were able to, to win it and keep everybody together. What do you think you've done, uh, I think that's unique, to continue to bring fans in? And to have the t- the type of sellouts that you have and and the record crowds that you can, because you talked about you're going to have to double that attendance, and you've done that, and you've done that consistently. And you have all different promotional programs. There's just something about the way you think about your audience that is unique to sports. We're really proud of the fact that I think we can. You know, you you have the kind of the three, maybe the three-legged stool where you have the the team itself, the product, the overall product. You know, you're winning or you're you're at 500 or you're losing. You have the um, the fact you may have stars that you can promote that people really feel engaged with, and then you have the ballpark environment, ballpark experience. You can only truly control the latter, right? Um, you can do a lot of things to make number one and two stars, uh, you know, appealing, have appealing stars, and you can do a lot to try to create, you know, winning teams. But you know, you never know. You're only a torn Achilles or a, a rotator cuff away from those first two, maybe not working. But the third, you can control. So we, one one of the things we did when we opened the ballpark that we really had felt we had to have a laser focus on was customer service. And that anybody that touched the fan at the ballpark was going to be trained specially and have a have an approach that would be like you know some of the best in breed um, at that time and still you know the Disney approach uh, you know Nordstrom uh, Ritz Carlton the brands that know that treat customers special ways so that that was a big part of it. And, you know, and the fact we were able to hold 31,000 full season ticket holders for about 15, the first 15 years of the ballpark, uh, people buying all 81 games, 31,000 out of the 40,000, I think was, you know, a focus on absolutely those folks were gold plated and we we did everything possible to, uh, for them. And, um, and, And we're in a bit of a different world now so that the season ticket world is more challenging because you know you can buy the quote unquote beachfront property seats a lot easier uh, than having season tickets or in other ways besides being a season ticket holder. So now it almost has to feel like more of a membership club um, to be a season ticket holder. But it, but you know you ask Jed, I mean it's really uh, you know customer service as, even as the industry changes and the demographics change and and the platforms change. Customer service is customer service, and that's true not just for fans at the ballpark, but it's also um, reaching fans through their devices and at home and and uh, and on the go. 
you've also done incredible things with your sponsorship and TV partners and things like that. I mean, again, that goes back to your training. I mean, there are not that many executives in professional sports that have the background that you have. And I think that lends itself to some of the things that you do that are, you know, above, <laughs> way above the average. Well, we, were, we're, we feel very blessed that we have some really great partnerships. And I think it kind of all starts with partnerships and, and folks trusting one another. So, you know, when we made our deal with Jeff Shell and Comcast to, um, for, to create NBC Sports Bay Area in 2008, you know, we shook hands and we made a 25-year deal, 30-year deal and brought the Warriors in. And it was, it, it, it's worked well. And regional sports network models are threatened these days, but we have one that's, that's pretty vibrant right now. And the long-term partnerships, you know, are are critical to us. And uh, we had this amazing 23 years with AT&T, started as Pacific Bell. They were acquired and we, we kept going with them. Oracle has been there since day one. What, what we really tried to do was keep companies, partners who have been with the Giants either since they moved to San Francisco in 1958, and that's true with companies like Coca-Cola and Anheuser-Busch and Chevron, or companies that have been with us since the new ballpark was created and helped us build the ballpark. And it was those companies and, and companies like Oracle and Salesforce. And, you know, we've gotten the new CEOs arrive, but I think the culture of partnership and what we can do together in the community is uh, is critical. So, for instance, um, where there was horrible fires in uh, Northern California, the first set of them several years ago, Salesforce came to us, largest employer in San Francisco, and uh, and we put together an amazing concert to raise money for the, for the victims of the fires and people who lost their homes. And we've had ventures with Oracle, and we've had ventures with AT and T, all in the community. And I think those partnerships uh, really work well for us. Have worked well for us and have, have bonded us to the community and to the sponsors. The next phase is how to go through a transition with with your general manager, president of baseball, you know, stepping down and having to bring in an, a new, a new executive team on the baseball side, which was very different. I mean, it hadn't happened in, you know, since you'd been there. So as, as you well know, Jed, that's, that's very challenging. And I, I'd say for myself personally, that might've been the, one of the toughest assignments next to actually acquiring the team and building the ballpark getting the ballpark built that we, we all worked on. Uh, <laughs> a close third was changing over the, the, the baseball operations department. And I want to point out, you know, Brian Sabian still works with the Giants. Bruce Bochy is still working with the Giants. So uh, they're still here and offering their wisdom and advice. And, and that's wonderful. But it was clear. I mean, you know, Brian had a, had a Hall of Fame run in our view. Uh, from with the club from 1993, I'd put his track record from 1993 through 2018. I mean, you just don't have that, right? You don't have uh, truly 25 years of uh, of somebody running an operation, essentially running an operation, and very proud of the fact that over those 25 years, we had a grand total of three field managers. We have right. Dusty, Felipe Alou, and Bruce Bochy, and I'm very proud of that and that consistency. But as you as you mentioned, you know there always there does come a time when you have to look at, at changing it over. So as we took a look at the best 
can breed, you know, and in, in, in the in the industry, and knowing that clubs do not easily or willingly uh, lose great executive want to lose great executive talent, um, it takes a lot of, of effort and a lot of uh, homework and uh, and uh, grit to figure out, you know, how to how to rebuild and, and put together a new baseball operation. And uh, thankfully, we were we were able to land on uh, Farhan Zaidi, who uh, Farhan is just a remarkable track record with the Oakland A's and the and the Dodgers previously. And you know, we're we're looking at a competitor in the Dodgers, and 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 having and, and getting him to the Giants from the Dodgers was not simple. And then, as you know, when you have a leader in really any sport at the top of the of the baseball, basketball, football operations, um, they bring by, by definition, they will bring folks with them. And so that was, uh, you know, and, and so we had to, um, look at that as well as folks that certainly deserve to, to remain with the giants and how to put that puzzle together. And the, 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 there were a lot of long nights, uh, spent put, figuring it out and, and, and couldn't be more pleased with what, you know, Farhan and, Scott Harris, uh, who we brought in as general manager from the Cubs, and Gabe Kapler, who he's brought in as our field manager. There, it's it's um, you know we feel very blessed that it, that it's all worked out. Well, I mean, here you are again in a very competitive uh, race. It's uh, going to come right down to the last couple of games. I mean, you, you're one right. of the things that Farhan said in the interviews, and I think you you'll remember this, Jed, is that similar to what Brian Sabian had done for all those years is. You know, we really never want to take take a year off, right? And okay. and so Farhan, you know, so his first year was 2019, and uh, though we didn't make the playoffs, and we and we, there were signs, and there were some. I remember in July of that year, I think we were 18 and seven, so or 19 and seven, or something like that. So we so even in years that didn't turn out to be winning years, you saw some. You know, something gave something to the fans that were that was in, intriguing. And last year we missed the playoffs by a game, and this year as we speak, you know things have gone well, long way to go, but we feel like the progress has been uh, accelerated by some just some some great you know roster moves and also some great field on field moves and some great coaching decisions and you know personnel. And I can't speak highly enough about uh, how it's come together. Well, that's part of your leadership. And as you th- you look back on on your career, what are the two or three things you're the most proud of accomplishing since you've been uh, with the Giants? You know, Jed, I think that the ultimate satisfaction because you're not going to win the World Series every year. I feel blessed that we have three times uh, in, while I've been there. But I think the ultimate satisfaction again is something that you feel like you can have some control over, which is you know, walking in the upper deck and seeing, you know, mothers and sons and fathers and daughters and grandparents enjoying a wonderful experience together. That you feel like you can have control over because you can, because the ballpark's clean, it's beautiful. The uh, people that work in the ballpark are incredibly friendly. I, I That's, to me, that's that's a major, major part of why I'm in it. And what gives me the satisfaction is is, is is that experience in the community. I also want to point out something we're working on that gets keeps us all very motivated. Is we have a large project in the uh, shadows of Oracle Park, you know, of our ballpark downtown San Francisco, the so-called Mission Rock, 
And so we're building this real estate, essentially building out a neighborhood. And it used to be essentially empty warehouses. And and while we've had the ballpark, uh, a surface parking lot, it's 30 acres, including a big pier. And we've now converted that. We're under construction on a $3 billion uh, mixed-use real estate development called Mission Rock. And Visa, another one of our partners with the Giants for over 20 years, uh, is putting its world headquarters there. We have we're going to have shops and stores, and so the other thing I I would say is that it's the neighborhood is going to be transformed. Blink your eyes from when we uh, first looked at the the site in the mid '90s to a couple of years from now, we're going to have this this amazing real estate development and neighborhood created around the ballpark. I can tell you from my time when I lived in San Francisco and had a chance to visit and be your guest for for games. I've never experienced that type of customer service, whether it was getting a turkey sandwich that was freshly carved. It was just, I think about that back in the early 2000s, and it was remarkable. And uh, you know, as I talked- Well, I to- remember you like you like the garlic fries and the crab sandwich, right? No, no, no. That, 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 <laughs> that, wasn't, part, that wasn't part of my diet. <laughs> no, but, thanks. I mean, I, you know, and I, I think of so many people at the Giants, um, who do so so much for everyone. I, I guess one of my greatest memories, also, I would say, you know, great moments for all of us that are full time workers at the Giants, is uh, when we've had each of the World Series parades, the three World Series parades, leading the the first float, if you will, of of cars going through the parade. And the first group that marched the parade with you know a million people on the streets were the ballpark workers in their Giants uh, uniforms. So the ushers and the security guards and the vendors and the ticket takers and the parking lot attendants. And they were, you know, all wearing their Giants orange and black, waving to the to the fans and uh, they feel part of it. And it gives me chills remembering those uh, those moments because uh it's that's really what what you can try to control and try to to uh, offer to a community. Well, they've tried a lot of times to get you to run for mayor, Larry, because of your <laughs> political savviness. Is that ever going to happen? Honestly, Jed, I would say I have a better job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a yeah. You know, we have a uh, we have a, a. I feel very blessed doing what I'm doing, and uh, we have a wonderful ownership group. That's the other thing is that none of this could happen if we didn't have through the years. I mentioned Peter McGowan, but we've also had uh, Bill Newcomb and Charles Johnson and now his son, Greg Johnson, you know, at the top of the of the Giants ownership chain, Rob Dean. And we have 30 investors, 35 really, in our group. But that group started with 18 civic minded folks that we recruited. And that group did it. They, there was no business plan to, you know, to support particularly because it was last minute, and it was, do you want to save the team from moving? And they they just you know led with their hearts, and they still do. And I think it shows. And you know, the group wants to win. They want to be community minded, and they want to um, and do what's right for uh, for uh, Giants fans everywhere. So uh, I couldn't be more blessed with the, the group that. That I'm part of. I think as you talked about the continuity, one of the things I've found as I've worked as a coach and across 
multiple industries is alignment is critical with ownership, you know, the front office, both on the baseball and business side, and you being the CEO, you, know, you kind of bring all that together. So talk if you would, would at the at the conclusion here of how important alignment is. Well, I think it's it's really important in terms of, you know, I, I, we try to uh, communicate this without being too over the top, but this is a little bit more than just another business, right? Or maybe a lot more. And I think there's a lot of mission-driven elements to our culture. You know, my direct reports, seven or eight of them have been with the Giants over 20 years, 25 years. And as I mentioned, we've had four field managers in 30 years, and we've had the same group, ownership group now for 30 years. So it's a lot easier to align values if there's mission-driven elements. We're really careful before we bring somebody into the organization because, you know, do they care about the, the customer? Do they care? Do they really want to, you know, operate the, the giants in a way that's going to make us all proud? And we find that when you have a team working together that way, it gets very sticky in the sense that people don't want to leave. And we're well aware we have to have succession planning. We have to have people you know, throughout all departments to have strong number twos and threes and fours uh, you know, and, and develop folks. So that, that's the balancing act. But I think the, you know, the, the continuity and the, has been around values. And, you know, for Brian for 25 years and now hopefully Farhan will be, we'll do it for 25 years. I think it means a lot. And um, I think the fans have come to depend on the Giants, even though we may not be in the World Series every year. They'll depend on us to do the right thing and attempt to do the right thing, both on the field and off the field, in the community and, you know, and, and with the neighborhood we're building and with the, the work that the players. I also want to just say one other thing, Jed. The work that the players do in the community, we started way back in 1993 with uh, something called the Till There's a Cure Day to create uh, a profile around AIDS research and education. To this day, 2021, we have players, every player in the Giants uniform commits themselves to some cause through the year. Um, it, it's personal to them, or we will suggest causes if they're not from the area that, that you know, will impact, create positive change in the community. So that's that's been a huge thing. And I think the fans see that as well. Buster Posey and his wife, Kristen, have created a foundation around raising money for, uh, uh, for pediatric cancer. And I can go through lists of players doing all sorts of wonderful things. Well, your leadership's been unbelievably. And uh, being a friend, I appreciate you part participating and sharing with our audience this incredible journey that you've been a part of. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jed. And thanks for all that you do to uh, bring to light all the issues in our industry. And um, look forward to seeing you back at the ballpark, having a turkey sandwich real soon. <laughs> thank you.